Welcome to the Trauma Drama Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Definitive trauma care from the perspective of a pre-hospital provider, and I'm your host, Josh. This is episode one of the Trauma Drama Podcast series, and I'm excited to debut this episode, even though I waited till the last possible moment to record this. It is Tuesday, November 30th at 19.08 in the evening, and the podcast is, episode one is supposed to debut, like, five hours, literally uh, December 1st at midnight. Uh, <laughs> it's been a hectic uh, last few weeks with school and work. So, <laughs> this is episode one. We're going to be talking about the the history of trauma medicine and how in its evolution into the modern trauma medicine that we have today we're going to be discussing the civil war world war one the eisenhower administration and the, the creation of the ems system and uh how that all impacted what we have today we're going to briefly go over how military medicine impacted the civilian side Without wasting too much time, I do want to give a special shout out to a couple of my friends. Uh, one of them being Ariel. Forgot why I told you I was going to give you a shout out on the uh, a shout out on the podcast, but shout out to Ariel. Uh, who else? Oh, um, Ryan Keetle. He's going to be on probably either the next episode or in two episodes. He's a uh, nine one one dispatcher and a firefighter, and he's going to educate us on what it's like to be a dispatcher and to instruct the civilian population on how to give medical care to somebody with traumatic injuries. We're going to have a bunch of other guests on, a couple of nurses, a couple of doctors, a couple of paramedics, uh, trying to work on getting some military servicemen on, but I don't want them to like, you know, lose their jobs or get dishonorably discharged. So going to try to steer clear from that for right now. But this is episode one. Let's travel back in time to the 1860s. In the 1860s, the United States was having their own civil war between the Confederacy and the Union. This is not a history class. Well, I guess technically I'm giving some history. But during this time, on the battlefields, hundreds of thousands of Confederate and Union soldiers were dying. And a lot of it had to do because of gunshot wounds and cannon accidents this was the first time in the history of trauma medicine where the ideas of rapid evacuation and field hospitals and triage really came into play in today's times we have the ems system which provide the initial triaging and in the military we have forward surgical teams and role two role three facilities that could provide the initial medical care to injured soldiers and we have trauma centers which is defined by the american college of surgeons committee on trauma as academic centers and non-academic centers that provide specialized trauma care to injured patients and they categorize them between levels one and three and i believe there's also a four and five and level one being the highest this was a game changer to the field of trauma. Now you can have people seriously injured, rushed immediately to a field hospital to get immediate treatment, and the walking wounded can get treatment at the point of injury and return to combat. 
During this time, President Abraham Lincoln drove for the creation of the first trauma manual, which was the first time processes to the care of injured patients were formally documented. Later, the concept of taking researchers into the battlefield to study outcomes began during World War II, which we'll touch on in a little bit. Now we're going to be talking about antiseptics, amputations, and analgesia and how they all played a huge impact on increasing survival rates during the Civil War. Before we talk about that, I would like to recommend a book called A Manual of Military Surgery for the Use of Surgeons in the Confederate State Army. Uh, it's by John Julian Chisholm, who was a Confederate doctor and surgeon during the Civil War. And I read a sample of it, and I think I'm going to order it on Amazon. I'm going to add a link to it on my website. This is not, I'm not being sponsored to say this. I genuinely want more stuff to read because I'm a boring person. <laughs> However, uh, definitely suggests uh, picking up this book, especially if you are a surgeon. It might be a good thing to have in your book collection. Amputations were commonplace during the time of the Civil War. Unfortunately, a lot of soldiers suffering from musket wound, gunshot wound injuries, and limbs being taken away by cannonballs left them with stumps or the need to have them amputated. At the beginning of the war, with the lack of anesthesia, it was a very painful thing that happened. They, they pretty much provided alcohol to these soldiers, and yeah, that's about the end of that. Towards the end of the war, chloroform and ether were developed as a means of ana anesthesia, which made the procedure a lot more bearable still can't imagine having my limb amputated with just chloroform back in the day but this was the 1860s after all during <laughs> at the end of the war when amputations and trauma medicine was starting to become studied a little bit more tourniquets were placed preemptively before the amputation to prevent blood loss then a circular flap was cut into the limb, and the limb was removed. This is very similar to the style of amputations that we do today on trauma and medical patients suffering from a wide variety of reasons for amputation. Scalpels and other surgical tools were soaked in alcohol to disinfect them. Germ theory wasn't widely understood yet, however... The idea of microscopic organisms causing disease in patients were starting to be understood a little bit more. The big killer to these patients at the time were due to blood loss, malnutrition, and just other things that we would be able to treat in a trauma surgical ICU today. Unfortunately, back then, these patients would die between... 48 hours and 30 days from the time of injury just because they were not the idea of shock and the management of these patients and giving them the proper nutrients were just not there i think this is a fundamental reason why general surgeons who want to become trauma surgeons have to go through a trauma surgical critical care fellowship or mcrit doctors that want to become ed intensivists have to go through like a trauma surgical critical care fellowship as well and that is because understanding the pathophysiology behind a patient who's in shock and then 
providing the life support, whether that is providing the, the nutrients the patient needs to thrive and the support that the patient needs to live is way more studied than it was in the 1860s. During the World Wars, it was the same issue. American soldiers weren't coming home because they were dying in combat. However, there were significant improvements in battlefield medicine. One of them being whole blood transfusions, which became popular by 1945 for battlefield casualties. They would get whole blood directly from another person, another soldier, and administered in the battlefield to allow the red blood cells that carry the oxygen to perfuse their organs and prevent ischemia and other things that happen when your tissues go without blood. Amputations were also down, and this is due to surgical techniques such as removing dead tissue resulted in fewer amputations at this time. To treat bacterial infections, penicillin and streptomycin were administered for the first time in a large-scale combat setting. The survival rate during World War I was around 4%, and by the end of World War II, 50% of people were surviving their injuries as a result of combat. In today's times, a serviceman or woman would stand a 92% chance of making it home alive if they suffered a battlefield-related injury. That is leaps and bounds better than what was going on during World War I and World War II. By the end of World War II, emergency departments were becoming more prevalent in hospitals. However, the idea of emergency medicine didn't really come into play. They were staffed by internal medicine, doctors, hospitalists, pediatricians, people who weren't specialized in the field of emergency medicine, let alone trauma medicine. Dr. R. Adams Cowley, a U.S. Army cardiothoracic surgeon during World War II, really set the what the standard is for research when it comes to trauma medicine he was sponsored by the department of defense to study shock and trauma and was given a research units on a east coast hospital to go ahead and study this in the civilian side this opened up the doors for the modern day trauma center the academic trauma center now civilians are having the opportunity to have the same care that soldiers injured in battle are receiving. And this is good for not just civilians, but also the our servicemen and women, because now the research that comes out of these academic centers are being implemented into military medicine. Trauma and more specifically, critical care medicine as a whole really proliferated because of R. Adams Cowley. He developed the idea of the golden hour, which is the first hour 60 minutes following an injury where immediate definitive care is crucial to a patient's survival after a traumatic event. This was huge. This was game-changing. Because not only were we innovating techniques in trauma surgery, but also critical care. We were better understanding the pathophysiology which goes on that manifests these patients after the event, after they go through surgery surgeries traumatic enough and then you're adding a traumatic injury plus a traumatic surgery to that and you know these patients didn't always do too hot 
Also, fun fact, our father of trauma medicine was the one who developed the pacemaker to go into Dwight D. Eisenhower following his heart attack. And Dwight D. Eisenhower is my favorite president of all time. Speaking of Eisenhower, Eisenhower signed the Federal Aid Highway Act of 1956, which started the National Highway System, also known as the Eisenhower Interstate System, which is probably one of the greatest infrastructure achievements in the modern era. And without him, I wouldn't have a job as a pre-hospital provider. Although it was after Eisenhower's term, his achievement of making the interstate highway system led to massive motor vehicle accidents. And unfortunately, there were a lot of deaths on national highways. This led to the 1966 Highway Safety Act that created the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and also developed all states to have a EMS system. This is the first time that we see pre-hospital providers come into the civilian sector. There's not just combat medics anymore and hospital corpsmen, but now there is a civilian version of them. My great state of Maryland created the first statewide systematic EMS agency, also known as the Maryland Institute of Emergency Medical Services System. This pioneered the protocols and the training that goes into training EMTs and paramedics at this time. It was also at this time that Maryland was the first state to utilize civilian helicopters to transport people that were severely injured from traumatic incidents. By utilizing Maryland State Police helicopters, they can transport trauma patients to trauma centers within our Adams County's golden hour. What does this all mean today? Well, firsthand, I think our training that we get as pre-hospital providers really prepare us to help these people who are seriously injured from motor vehicle collisions and gunshot wounds and assaults and all these other traumatic injuries that they can sustain. I think the idea of trauma medicine is a very fascinating topic and being a trauma provider is also just the biggest adrenaline rush that you can give. And watching somebody come in to the on the brink of death and watching them walk out of the hospital getting discharged is it just it's just a great feeling as well. The research that is done in these academic trauma centers in the field of EMS and in the military is saving countless of li- countless lives every year that we develop new techniques. In 2007, a Baltimore physician said that with modern trauma centers, Abraham Lincoln's assassination and injury could have been a recoverable injury. And with reasonable expectations, he would have survived. I chose to go over the history of trauma for the first episode of Trauma Drama because I wanted to introduce all these fascinating topics that I find very interesting that I am very passionate about. We're going to touch on Reboa and ECMO and the non-surgical management of trauma patients because compared to what we were doing in the Civil War and in the World Wars and even in the 60s, we are doing far less surgeries and patients are having the same outcome, or if not better outcomes. We're doing far less invasive procedures. We're utilizing fluoroscopy and hybrid interventional radiology OR suites to 
give patients a great outcome without all the surgery that may be necessary. With this research, we learned that resuscitative endovascular balloon occlusion of the aorta or reboa, aorta? Did I say balloon occlusion of the aorta is actually much better at treating somebody with abdominal or pelvic trauma than traditionally doing a thoracotomy, cross clamping the aorta, and then you gave this whole person a whole separate incision other than just doing the laparotomy that they were going to have to get anyway. There was a 0% chance of survival. I will have a YouTube video linked in the resources page on my website of Dr. Deborah Stein, a fantastic trauma surgeon talking about Reboa and why it is such a great piece of technology and intervention that we are doing and how the clinical outcomes have really improved because of it. Aside from what we're doing in the hospital as far as definitive trauma care, EMS providers are having the opportunities and abilities to perform RSI intubations. We're doing fast exams and eFAST using butterfly IQ ultrasound devices. We are able to use pelvic binders. There's all this great technology that is really contributing to patient outcomes. And this is all because of trauma research. And we're going to dive into a lot of these topics coming up. I'm going to have a lot of a lot of experts in all these different fields of trauma. And we're going to have I'm going to interview them and we're going to talk about whatever I want cuz this is my platform <laughs> to do whatever I want. Uh actually, I'm going to enjoy this whole podcasting thing. I can make it all about me. Uh <laughs> we're going to talk about my life in the fire service and it's going to be great. Episode zero part two is still going to come out at some point. We have to re-record it. Uh, recording over FaceTime with uh, Mr. Schaefer was a horrible idea. His audio was horrible. My audio is all loud like it usually is. And my podcast voice isn't much different from my uh, t regular talking voice because I'm just a loud person in general. Nonetheless, that kind of sums up episode one. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have any questions, shoot me an email, joshua.baney at trauma-drama.org. You can find it on the website, trauma-drama.org. You can send me a message on uh, Instagram. I usually respond within 12 hours. Uh, at trauma-drama-pc, no spaces or dashes in that one. I think you guys will enjoy the future episodes. I'm still getting used to this whole podcasting thing, trying to get my thoughts together. Even when I have a rubric and script sitting right in front of me, it's kind of difficult. Uh, I'm used to talking to people in, and in front of people, talking into a microphone and into a screen is weird. Uh, <laughs> I really think the interviews that I've done thus far were very natural, minus the technical difficulties that I've had in a few of them. I'm really excited for what is going to proliferate out of this podcast, and I really hope that you can share it with your friends and you can take something out of this podcast. Follow me on Instagram. I'm sometimes funny. I post memes every once in a while. And also, that's that's about it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I have nothing else really to add. Um, 
it is going to be December 1st when I upload this. It is around the hol holidays. Uh, if you celebrate Hanukkah, I hope you have a great Hanukkah. And Kwanzaa and Christmas and into the New Year's. 2022 needs to be way better than 2021 because 2021 sucked just as much as 2020, in my opinion. <sighs> Identity theft is a bitch. Anyway. <laughs> See, now I'm carrying on. Uh, I should make my own segments where I don't talk about anything clinical or trauma related. And I should just talk. Use this as my own as my own outlet to just be me. Because I'm pretty funny. But also, the history of trauma medicine isn't necessarily funny. Even though... It, we'll, we'll get there. In future podcasts, we'll get there. Anyway... <laughs> Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Please stay tuned for next time. Take care and happy holidays.